Well, today is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Today, even though the church is nearly empty, we gather to remember the empty tomb, the greatest event that ever happened on planet Earth, Jesus alive. Salvation secured, hell, death, and sin conquered, eternal life available to all. Let's pray together. Father, now we come in these precious moments to your word, to your truth on this amazing day to learn about Jesus. And Lord, we pray that's exactly what happens in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is our last Sunday in a two-part message series I call The Resurrection and the Life from the account of Jesus's raising Lazarus from the dead. Let's recap a little bit of last week's sermon. A messenger has come to Jesus telling him a very simple message. Lazarus is ill. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Jesus then says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We know from verses 11 through 14 that Jesus already knows Lazarus is going to die. And we know that Jesus already knows Lazarus is not going to stay dead. He says in verse 11, I go to awaken him. So when Jesus says this illness does not lead to death, he knows that Lazarus will pass through death, but ultimately he will be miraculously brought back to life. What's this whole story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus all about? It's about the manifest glory of God being revealed so that Jesus himself would be glorified through it. The raising of Lazarus is one of the crowning miracles of Jesus' earthly ministry. His full deity and his full power is indisputably on display for all to see. In John chapter 9, where Jesus heals a man born blind, the religious leaders argue and tried to dispute Jesus' miracle. But here in the raising of Lazarus, there's no argument. There is no debate. Literally hundreds, even thousands of people knew Lazarus was dead. They knew he'd been dead for four days. And then they saw with their own eyes Lazarus come forth from the grave. They saw a dead man alive. So indisputable, so unquestionable was this miracle that we find out in John chapter 12 that not only did the Jewish religious leaders want to kill Jesus, they also wanted to kill Lazarus. They couldn't dispute the miracle. The facts were so clear and irrefutable. In John 12, 9 through 11, it says, when a large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. They wanted to kill Lazarus, to kill the account of Jesus, raising him from the dead. People come from all around to see Lazarus. They wanted to see for themselves this undeniable miracle that attested, that proved that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the very Son of God. Many Jews 
were believing in Jesus. Now, thousands upon thousands of people died during Jesus' earthly ministry. But this one particular death, with this one particular raising to life, was not just a miracle, it was a sign. The raising of Lazarus clearly pointed to the fact that this one particular man, Jesus, was the one and only, the very divine Son of God, the Messiah. You see, the primary reason for this miracle wasn't so that Lazarus could live a few more days here on earth. It wasn't so that Mary and Martha could have their brother back. No, the primary reason for this miracle was to showcase the glory of God, to display for all to see that Jesus is to be glorified as God, to conclusively prove that Jesus is the one true Son of God. Folks, here's where we often miss out. Here's where we often get things all so twisted around. God's miracles are not primarily for us. They are primarily for his glory. The wonders and beauty of creation are not for us, but for God to show us his glory. The salvations of our souls are not just for us, but for God's glory. We can get so focused on what God has done or, or not done for us. We can get so focused on our lives, on our future, on our comfort, on our wants, that we can totally miss the fact that the whole purpose behind the, our very existence is to glorify God. Our lives are not about, God, what can you do for me? And yet he so bountifully supplies our needs. And our lives are not about, God, what can I do for you? Yet it is the very highest privilege of our lives to serve Jesus. Now, in reality, as true followers of Christ, our lives are about God receiving glory, about God receiving the acclaim due his name. We get so focused on us, even as Christians, that we miss the point. It's not about us. It's all about him. Now, think about this. How does that truth change your perspective of your success, of the blessings that you have in your life? They're not just about you. God gave you those so that God would get the glory through them. It's not the way we often see the blessings in our lives, but shouldn't we? Isn't it all about him? Just think how such a focus on God's glory would change our perspective on loss and on hardship and the difficulties of our lives. How would our perspective change if we saw the struggles and the losses and the challenges as opportunities for God to be glorified? What if God being glorified was our first and highest aim? How would we then live? Well, let's look at four different ways that Jesus shows us his love. As we started with our sermon last week, Jesus shows his love by delay. Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 11 and follow along as I read verses 1 through 6. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. 
So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus delayed to go back to see Mary and Martha because he loved them, because he wanted them, and he wanted us to see him as he really is, to see him in his glory and in his power. Remember, we are most loved by Jesus when Jesus gives us Jesus, whether in our blessings or in our difficulties. We are most loved when Jesus is the one who gets the glory. See, life difficulties are not a sign that Jesus doesn't love you, just as earthly blessings are not a sign that Jesus does love you. The truth is that it is often through the difficulties where Jesus reveals his love and his glory to us. Why? Because knowing his true love, seeing Jesus's true glory is just that important. It's just that valuable. How often do we spurn the very love of God by not looking for his love, for his wisdom, for his glory in the midst of the heartaches and loss and questions and blessings? of our lives. God doesn't mainly love us by giving us our earthly wants or by not sparing us hardships or sufferings or heartaches. No, God mainly loves us by showing us himself, by giving us himself, by showing us his glory. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? Isn't that exactly what he did? He gave us himself in the incarnation. He gave us himself on the cross He gave us himself as he rose from the dead in resurrection. He gave us himself and he showed us his glory. Through his humility and hardship and suffering and death, he showed us his love. He showed us his glory by giving to us himself. You see, it's not about us. It's all about him. All of it. It's all about his glory. As verse 4 says, it's for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. You see, we're not only most loved when Jesus gives us Jesus, but we are also most loved when we see his glory in our lives when Jesus' glory gives us Jesus. Well, next, Jesus shows his love by taking us through risk. Please follow along in your scriptures there. Verses 7 through 16. The scripture says, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, 
but they thought that he meant that he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. At the end of the previous chapter in John chapter 10, Jesus again clearly claims his divinity to be the very son of God. The Jews in Jerusalem are seeking to kill him and arrest him. As John 10, 40 says, in response to those threats, Jesus went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Now he tells his disciples in verse 7 that he's going back to Judea, that place where they were just trying to kill him. The disciples are understandably concerned. Verse 8 says, the disciples said, hey, Rabbi, the the Jews are just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Hey, Jesus, what you want to do is dangerous. What you want us to do by following you is dangerous for us. Are you sure you want to go back to the very place where they were just trying to kill you? Now, Jesus essentially tells the disciples in verses 9 and 10 that it's not going to happen to him. I'm walking in the light of the day, he says. The time of darkness has not yet arrived. This comment of Jesus is similar to the one he made in John chapter 9, uh, verse 4, where he says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. The point he was making was that there's an appointed time when his ministry will be over, when that day is over, when the night is coming. But it's not going to be on this trip to Bethany. Jesus, the light of the world, is still working in the light of daytime. Now, the disciples don't understand. We see them over and over again struggling to understand Jesus, especially when it comes to his death and resurrection. Now, it's easy for us to understand because we've got the full revelation of the the Bible for us to see. But we must remember that they're in the midst of it all. They're trying to put it together in real time. Even though they don't understand, the disciples, disciples show their loyalty and faith to Jesus. And they're willing to follow him to Bethany. The the disciple Thomas, whom we often refer to as doubting Thomas, did not doubt at all. But sharing the heart of the commitment and the courage of all the disciples says, Let us also go that we may die with him. They didn't understand, but they were willing to go. They were willing to follow. They were willing to risk. They're willing to do hard, even dangerous things. If that's what it meant to follow Jesus, if that is where Jesus was leading them. You see, following Jesus doesn't mean our safety. Sometimes he leads us to risk. Sometimes Jesus calls us to do hard things. Sometimes he challenges us to put aside our earthly aspirations of wealth and prestige and ease for a life of sacrifice and service to him. Sometimes in his love, he leads us to follow him, even where it's dangerous. The greatest blessing you can have in your life is to follow Jesus wherever he is leading you.
when men and women join the military, they know that they might be called on to put their life into harm's way to defend their country. They have willingly joined knowing the sacrifice and the hardships that will be part of their future. Out of love for their country and their fellow countrymen, millions of men and women have willingly sacrificed to defend our country, to secure our freedom. All gave some. All sacrificed some. But some gave all. Some sacrificed their very lives for us and our freedoms. Well, the same is true of every believer. When we willingly gave our full allegiance to Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, we gave him the right, the ownership, the lordship of our lives. He is our commander, and we are on his mission. He gets to deploy his troops as he sees fit. Our lives are not about our goals, but his. Our lives are not about fulfilling our mission, but his. Our lives are not about getting what we want, but doing what he wants. Out of love for our Lord, out of devotion for our Savior, we willingly serve where he wants us. It should be said of each of us, of every follower of Christ, that all gave some, that all sacrificed some, and that some gave all, some sacrificing their very lives in the service of Jesus Christ. Think about this. How are you doing in your deployment for Christ? The question isn't if you are just willing to sacrifice for him. No, the question is how are you right now sacrificing for him so that his mission would be accomplished? How are you right now putting God's plans first in your life? The words of the great hymn writer Isaac Watts comes to mind. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. How are you doing as a soldier of the cross? Are you resting on flowery beds of ease? Are you active in your deployment for Jesus Christ? Is his mission your mission? Jesus loves us. And he loves us by leading us into risk. For by leading us to live by faith for him, we get to see his glory. We get to live for his will and his plan and his mission. Well, next we see that Jesus loves us by teaching us the truth. Let's look again at our scriptures in verses 17 through 27. 17 through 27. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to 
Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. It's now the fourth day after Lazarus' death. This is usually the day of the greatest mourning for the dead. This is the day where the reality of death hits the reality of the decomposing body. Martha hears that Jesus has come, and she goes to meet him to express her true faith in the Lord. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. In this passage, Martha calls Jesus her Lord and Messiah, the Son of God. Martha knew exactly who Jesus was, and she believed in him. We should not read into verse 22 that Martha had any thoughts about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Because we know later in verse 39 that she objects to Jesus tries to stop Jesus from rolling away the stone in front of Lazarus' tomb. The thought of Jesus bringing Lazarus back to life was not in her mind at all. She was resigned to the fact that her brother was dead. She talks about it in the past tense, if you had been here. So what Martha is saying in verse 22 is that her faith in Jesus is not shaken by the death of her brother. She still believes. She knows Jesus could have healed him, but since he didn't, that doesn't mean that she stopped believing in Jesus. The heartache of the loss was real, but her faith that Jesus was the one true Son of God was not shaken. Jesus, I know you have the power and ability to do anything, but your will be done. What a great example for us to follow in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our heartaches. Then Jesus tells her that her brother will rise again. And she responds with great theology. She knows God's word. The Bible teaches that all will be raised. Martha knew this and believed this, and it was comforting truth to her. But Jesus had more truth to reveal to Martha. With Jesus, the resurrection of the dead is not just a future reality, but it's a present reality because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. I am right now, this guy standing right before you, Martha, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You see, Martha, though Lazarus is dead, Yet shall he live, and even more than that, he is right now still alive. Because believers never perish. They go from this life to the next, never leaving the loving, life-giving fellowship of God. 
even if one dies physically, yet shall they live spiritually and eternally. Our hope, our future is in Christ. It's not just waiting for the day of resurrection, but our hope is right now. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life right now for all who believe in him. Folks, hear this. Right now, in your life, this very day, this very moment, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus asked Martha if if she believed this. And Martha resoundingly says, Yes, Lord, I believe. Oh, what great truth. What important teaching Jesus has for us here. Because one of the great ways that Jesus loves us is to teach us the truth. Because there's comfort in the truth. There's comfort in the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That in him and through him, though we die here on earth, yet shall we live. For everyone who believes in Jesus will never perish, but have eternal life. Death never has the last word. Jesus does. Because he is the resurrection and the life. Sound theology has a way of taking a great load of worry and fear and heartache off of our minds. Sound theology is one of the ways that God brings us comfort and hope and perspective and shows us his love. Jesus loves us by giving us the truth because it teaches us who he really is. Well, next we see that Jesus loves us by connecting with our hearts. Follow along there again in our scriptures in verses 28 through 37. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, he was moved deeply in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Well, Martha now goes and tells Mary that Jesus is calling for her. At the end of his conversation with Martha, Jesus must have asked Uh, Martha to go ask Mary to come to him. Jesus specifically asks Mary to come to him. Think about this now. Specifically asked Mary to come. What does Jesus want us to do with our grief? Come to him. What does Jesus want us to do with our questions? Come to him. What does Jesus want us to do with our fears? Come to him. What does Jesus want us to do with our doubts? Come to him. And what will Jesus do? 
He'll help us and he'll accept us and he'll comfort us and he'll instruct us and he'll minister to us. He'll reveal himself to us. Remember, we are most loved by Jesus when Jesus gives us Jesus. That's exactly what he wants to do for Mary. That's exactly what he wants to do for you and me. He loves us. He wants us to come to him so he can give himself to us. When Mary gets to Jesus, she falls at his feet. All three times we see Mary in the Bible, she's at Jesus' feet. She was at his feet learning in Luke chapter 10. She's at his feet here in sorrow in John chapter 11. And she's at his feet in worship in John chapter 12. Mary worshiped Jesus. Jesus was her Lord Upon seeing Jesus, it says the very same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary's heart was broken. She said that statement of faith through sobbing tears. She was crying. And so were the Jews that had come with Mary. But these are not the quiet, solitary tears that we so often see in our cultural, public expressions of grief. No, not at all. This is out loud, demonstrative, weeping and lamentation. This is full-on body sobbing. And not just Mary, but many in the crowd were weeping in the same way. This is a powerfully emotional scene. Mary at Jesus' feet, heartbroken and sobbing. The crowd of friends, likewise in deep mourning, with this scene unfolding in front of Jesus. Verse 33 says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. He was greatly troubled. Now, interestingly, deeply moved actually has the idea of anger. This is not an emotion of compassion, his being moved or troubled. It's, a, it's an emotion of displeasure. Troubled is a word for agitated or stirred. This is an emotion of outrage. It's hard to know exactly why Jesus was feeling so strong, uh, negative emotions. We're not specifically told why, but we are specifically told what he does. And from his actions, we can understand his outrage. The next thing Jesus wants to do is to go to the tomb of Lazarus. His outrage, his anger is against death and sin. Well, then in verse 35, Jesus wept. His great compassion was for the people and Mary and Martha and all those weeping. But his anger, his outrage was against sin and death. This word wept for Jesus is a different word than the one that's used to describe Mary's crying. While Mary wailed in sorrow, Jesus shed quiet tears. As his heart broke for those experiencing such sorrow, his anger was stirred up against the reality of sin and death. Isaiah 53 describes Jesus as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He wept over the tragic consequences of sin and their effect in our lives. But he knew. He knew that he would soon crush the power of death. He knew that he would defeat the power of sin with his death as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Sin and death would be rendered powerless. Redemption would come. 
Salvation has been made. Jesus died as a payment for the sin of mankind. And beloved, the tomb is empty. It is the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate this day and every Sunday. His resurrection in power proves that he's the resurrection and the life. It validates his words. It validates his authority. It validates who he is. We have life because up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. It's not just great theology that gives us comfort. It is Jesus himself that gives us comfort. Jesus is acquainted with grief, with our grief. He's not a distant God. He's not indifferent or uncaring. No, he's close. He came to us. He calls us to come to him. He's caring. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He's acquainted with our grief. One of the great ways that Jesus shows us his love is by connecting with our hearts, with our joys, with our sorrows. As we struggle with life's hardships, Jesus is right there with us. He knows and he cares. Jesus is not uninvolved. No, he's right here to love us, to help us, to encourage us, to to guide and direct us through the Holy Spirit, to point us to his glory. And that's what we see next. Jesus shows his love by showing his glory in verses 38 through 44. The scripture says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but, but I said this on account of those people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus comes to the tomb and commands them to take away the stone. And Martha objects, this great woman of faith, This woman who just a few minutes ago proclaimed that she believed Jesus was the Messiah, the very Son of God, tries to stop Jesus. In this moment, she's so caught up in the circumstance that she loses sight of who she's talking to. Have you ever been so caught up under your life circumstances, so surrounded by the events of your life, that you start to say to Jesus, Lord, don't do that. Oh, but Lord, that's too hard. Lord, I I don't want that. Lord, that's not a good idea. Lord, I want you to do this instead. Lord, you're supposed to meet my expectations. Just like Martha, we've, we've all been there trying to tell Jesus what to do. Jesus' response is critically important to understand. He said, didn't I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? Now, he didn't say to Martha, didn't I tell you if you believe 
you would see Lazarus raised from the dead. Why? Because the point of this miracle really has nothing to do with Lazarus. The miracle is all about Jesus' glory. Jesus' glory through the Father. The miracle is all about Jesus revealing who he is by exercising his power over death. That he is the resurrection and the life. The main point of the miracle is to unequivocally validate that Jesus, that man standing right there in the midst, Jesus is actually God himself. Lazarus has been dead four days. Those close to the tomb, when they rolled that stone away, probably did smell the stench of death. But at that instant, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, that dead body came back alive. That decaying body came back to life as a healthy body. Why? How? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he proved it. He proved it when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He proved it when he raised himself from the dead. Jesus is alive. Just as Jesus asked Martha, so through the scriptures today, Jesus asks us, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? on this Resurrection Sunday, with the reality of the empty tomb, do you believe? The question comes to each of us, to you, to me. Do you believe? Evaluate, think, pray, commit. Do you believe? If you can honestly say that you don't, then today can be your day. Right now, you can turn to Jesus, the resurrection and the life, and you can believe and be saved this day. Oh, but oh, may each of our hearts confess, as Martha did, yes, Lord, I believe. May we each confess, yes, Lord, I believe. Believe. May the empty tomb fill you with overflowing hope, with overflowing love, with the joy of your salvation, and with Jesus, our Savior, our resurrected Lord. Let's pray together. Father, now we thank you so much for this powerful account of your son, our Savior, raising Lazarus from the dead and the interactions with Mary and Martha. And it teaches us so much about ourselves and about you. And it challenges us to believe, to believe that right now, Jesus, you are the resurrection and life. Right now in our lives, we will not perish. We have everlasting life. Because of Jesus. Well, maybe today you've, you've never cried out and said, yes, Lord, I believe. Well, today you can do that. Today, admit. Admit your sin. Admit you've fallen short. Admit your great need for salvation. And then believe. Just believe it. Believe 
that Jesus died on the cross for you. Believe that he rose again for you. Believe that he is the resurrection and life. Confess your belief. And then confess him. Just write out loud. Just say it in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Say, Lord, I confess you are my Savior. You are my Lord. I receive you. Even now, in these moments, in your homes, you can pray your own prayer, admitting and believing and confessing. Come to faith in Jesus. You, like Martha, could look into the face of Jesus and say, yes, I believe. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and all he's done and all that he is and how we as believers have the certainty of hope have the certainty of eternal life. Because up from the grave, he rose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. In Jesus' name, amen.